0: Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. This week's sermon will be given by Chaplain Mark Miller. And Aren't you glad you can say it is well with my soul? Have you ever wondered what it would feel like if it wasn't well with your soul? I think most people can relate to that. Something that we'll touch on this morning... But uh, first, I want to say how honored I am to be here. Uh, However, you know, I often wonder when I step up here why the first four pews are just empty. And I shower at least once a month, and it's usually on a Saturday. At least once a month. Recently, it's been twice a day because it's been hot. But yes, please feel free to fill in uh, in the future. Our sound system is different. And the gap that used to be here is supposed to be fixed. But we don't know because nobody sits here. So please consider that in the future. Happy to be here with you this morning. And I want to start out with a question. Has anyone never received a piece of junk mail in your mailbox? Anybody never received junk mail? That's what I thought. Most of us have. Most of us have gone to our mailbox to discover a piece of mail that is addressed to us. On the address line is your name. And typically across the envelope, it has something like this one. I recently went to our mailbox and took out the mail, and I'm still old enough to know that sometimes important things come in the mail. How many of you, anybody, I, I couldn't shouldn't say how how many of you? I should say, does anybody remember a day when to get official military correspondence, such as your PCS orders, you would go to the mailbox, and there would be an envelope there, and it would have your orders in it. That was exciting. I remember that, and I also remember going to the mailbox to receive deployment orders. Yes, yes, uh, as a reservist, I was mobilized, and I remember going to the box and opening the box, official mail, you know, U.S. Postal Service. But the other day, I went to the mailbox, opened up the box, and I got this envelope it's addressed to me, Mark Miller, and across the envelope it says, important information regarding your vehicle. Please open immediately. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with my vehicle? And then I look at the return address, and it says Kia. And I'm thinking, well, this must be about my car, but I don't have a Kia. And you know, it was then that I realized as important as this letter appears to be. It's not that important. It's just junk mail, Holly. And so I set it to the side and I have yet to open it. have yet to open it. Now, there may be something in here that would persuade me to go buy a Kia. And if you drive a Kia, that is fine. And there's some important information about your vehicle here that you can probably read about. But, But I'm very happy with my Ford truck. And so I'm not going to open that envelope. Now, there was another piece of mail that I received several years ago. I think this was uh, dated 2007, and it has my address on it as well. It has my name on it. It says Mark Miller. And in the return address, it has another address that I was very interested in because, you see, this has the name Kathy Miller from my wife. I didn't even have to look at the return address to know it was from her because she usually scented her letters and some of them still bear those wonderful scents that fill your nasty old tent when you're deployed with a little taste of home just a little smell that says yeah there's still things good in this world this one was from my wife and I was happy to open it As a matter of fact, I wanted to open it immediately. Chances are I got this while I was working in the section that I was working in on the night shift. And I thought, you know, do I have time to open this now or should I wait? And some people do that. You know, a soldier will receive a letter downrange and they'll wait because they want to be totally alone in, in in their little part of the world that they have reserved for them before they open that special piece of mail. We have several members of our congregation deployed I would encourage you to write them a letter, an old school letter, because it it makes you feel good when you get a letter in the mail, especially if it's from your spouse. It changed my behavior. My behavior with this one, nah, still haven't opened it, right? Didn't change anything. This one, it's been open. Not going to read you what's in it, but it's been open, and I can tell you it made me feel special. It made me want to change my behavior because it was from my wife, somebody important. This morning we're continuing to look in Revelation at the seven, one of the seven letters written to the seven churches, and this particular letter is addressed to Smyrna. Is anyone from Smyrna, Georgia, in here? Uh, there is such a place, and uh, I think I've been close to it. I see a hand in the back. Somebody says she's from Smyrna, Georgia. But Smyrna was uh, is, a, is a was a church founded perhaps when Paul was on his missionary journeys through Turkey. We're going to talk more about Smyrna in a minute, but. This particular letter to the church in Smyrna is definitely not in the category of junk mail. It is important. And the people of Smyrna, the church of Smyrna, would have known it was important because how it starts. So if you have your Bible with you and you're still at that passage of Scripture, we're in Revelation chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 8. The Scripture begins like this. To the angel of the church of Smyrna... Right, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again now imagine what you would think if you had received this letter and you opened it and you read these words these are the words of the first and the last the one who died and came to life again you might be thinking who is this from I'm sure this got the attention of the members of the church in Smyrna, and they should probably get our attention as well. The one who is the first and the last. The one who died and came to life again. It's not a letter from the grave. It's a letter from one who is living. And they know who it's from, just like I recognized this address. Sometimes, most often, Kathy would send me letters with her handwriting in the return. Here, she received probably one of those uh, uh, advertisements, and it's got the free little stickers with her address on it, so she sent it with that. But I was excited when I looked at the return address, and I saw her name and this greeting. Think about this greeting to the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was a church, like I said, likely founded by Paul, in what is now modern-day Izmir, Turkey. It's located about 30 miles from Ephesus and about 50 miles from Pergamon. Next week, I believe it is, you're going to hear about the letter from, to Pergamon. Smyrna was an educational hub. It was a center for learning, a center for particularly the teaching of science and medicine at the time. Today, we might consider it a college town, kind of like Raleigh-Durham or Tuscaloosa, Alabama, as hard as we like to admit it. It was also a popular location for the Olympic Games of the times. So think about this. A college town periodically overrun by athletes. Can you imagine what a cultural mix you would have? Cultural diversity. Smyrna was also a hub, hub for commerce. It was a port city. It is a port city still to this day. Located on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And it it is a beautiful location. I've never been to Izmir, Turkey, but I've I've met some people who are from Turkey and they talk highly, speak highly of the the port cities, the coastal cities in Turkey. A beautiful place, a tourist destination. Smyrna was also very politically correct. At the time, it was aligned by the Roman Empire, aligned with the Roman Empire, insomuch that they established a cult for the worship of the Roman goddess Roma. So it was a pretty progressive city, right? Something that we might uh, think about as a city with a lot going on. It was a culturally diverse city. In the midst of all this cultural and religious diversity, not unlike what we experience today if we live in a city such as New York or Washington D.C., say, the Christian church was trying to take and maintain a stand for truth they were trying to have a positive influence in all of the cultural diversity that they experienced to receive a letter with this type of greeting might have got their attention and been encouraging to them this letter is from the one who is the first and last the one who died and came to life again they know who the first and last is This is their savior, the one who was before it all, the founder of their faith, and the one who has promised to be victorious when it all ends. This letter is from the one who suffered persecution, died on the cross, and then conquered death and lives again. This letter is from Jesus Christ, their savior. The letter continues, I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That's pretty harsh language to call somebody a synagogue of Satan. But you see, Jesus gets straight to the point with the church of Smyrna. He says, look, I know you and I know what you're experiencing. I know how people are persecuting you. I know how you feel that you have nowhere to turn when they berate you for doing for for doing right when you're, and they make you think you're doing wrong when all you're trying to do is the best you know to do. I know you feel inferior and insufficient and that you can't measure up to the expectations of those around you, especially the religious people, the so-called religious people, who say they are one thing but are really another, the hypocrites, if you will. You see jesus pinpoints a problem a specific problem for the church in smyrna there was a significant number of people in the city who were creating problems anybody ever heard of a city that had a significant number of people creating problems i think we could probably turn on the news on any given day and find that a group of people creating problems well this group were saying that they were religious they were saying they were jews but they were really not it's quite possible that they were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, or that they were saying that they were Jews just in order to protect themselves from the persecution faced by the true believers, from the people who were persecuting Christians. They were cowardly, and as a result of their accusations against the true believers, they were drawing more attention to those who were in the Christian community and drawing more persecution to them. And Jesus says, They are a synagogue of Satan. That word Satan means enemy or adversary. Does anybody have a Satan in your life? That's that's careful. Be be careful in raising your hands. But yes, you all have an enemy. We have an adversary. We all have an enemy that fights against us, that accuses us, that persecutes us, and that wants to bring us down. This word, this synagogue of Satan, aptly describes this group of people who were opposed to true believers. They were bringing persecution to the church under the guise of being a believer themselves. Jesus reminds the church in Smyrna that he knows and understands how they feel because people did the same thing to him and they acted the same way. He also knows that despite how they feel, that they feel poor and inferior, they're rich, much richer than an unbeliever ever will be. Because see, they have an eternal inheritance, everlasting life. They have something that others don't have. They have hope beyond this life and they have hope in this life. They are rich, much richer than an unbeliever ever would be. They have a savior, one who loves them and gave their, his life for them. He's the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. What Jesus is saying is that I know that what you are experiencing is painful, but it's temporary. I am eternal. I'm your Savior. This was written to the church in Smyrna, but how many of us can relate to what I've just conveyed? How often do you feel the same way? Like in our culture, there's challenges to the truth of the gospel. A culture that accommodates sin and berates people who stand for truth. We live in a culture where it's not popular to take a stand for things that God's word clearly defines as sin. That's the culture we live in. And it can be discouraging. It could cause somebody to say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't put my faith out there. Maybe I shouldn't let people know that I'm really a believer because otherwise I'll have to deal with this. That's the culture we live in. We were recently in New York City for about a day and a half. And that's about as much time as I cared to stay there. It's a city filled with a cultural mix. And if you're a believer and you walk through the city, you can't avoid things that will challenge your Christian values. You cannot avoid it. It was absolutely amazing in a way that I don't care to experience anytime again soon. I think SIU you just came from there. So you, you can relate as well. But you see... We live in this kind of culture that is very similar to the church in Smyrna. This letter could be written to the church at Fort Bragg, All-American Chapel. And yet, do we see this letter as one that is like this? A piece of junk mail that, well, I'll get to that later? Or one that's like this? It's important. I know it's important because of who it's from. And I'm going to open it. And I'm going to read it. And I'm going to open it again and read it again. And I want to know what it has to say and take it to heart. How do we treat what we're hearing in this letter to the churches at Smyrna? Let's listen closely to how the letter continues. It continues with some expectation management. How many of you know expectation management is important? You know, parents, expectation management, leaders, expectation management. You know, it's very important to know what to expect. Revelation 2.8 continues, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Whoa, wait a minute. This is like me reading, important information regarding your vehicle. Do not be afraid about what you're about to suffer. That got my attention because I'm thinking, what's about to happen? How am I about to suffer? I'm not sure I want to keep reading, but this letter is from my Savior, and I know it's important. So I'm going to keep reading. Passage continues, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Anybody raise your hand if you volunteer for that. No hand. One. One hand, yes. You'll be put in prison for 10 days and persecuted by the devil himself. No, nobody's going to really volunteer for that. Maybe a teenager, but uh, I don't know. You're awesome, man, for volunteering. But you see, That's what Jesus is telling them to expect. You know, the church in Smyrna is thinking, wait a minute. I'm trying to live a godly life already in the middle of a cultural melting pot. And you're telling me that I can expect that the devil himself will imprison me and test me. And Jesus is saying, yes, this is what you should expect. Because you have an enemy, the accuser, the devil, who will try you and test your faith and your perseverance. And this is to the letter of, to the church in Smyrna. Now, let's, let's talk for a minute about the church in Smyrna. Because there's an important story that some of you may be familiar with. Some of you may have never heard of it. There was an early Christian leader in the church of Smyrna by the name of Polycarp. Somebody say Polycarp. It's kind of a strange name, but Polycarp. need to remember that name because he was one of those Christians persecuted in the church of Smyrna. Polycarp was uh, a leader in the church, and around A.D. 150, he started uh, confronting some of the popular religious practices that was in the city, particularly a teaching called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a a blend of religions. It takes a little bit from the Christian faith and the Jewish faith and the Greek faith and some from myths and Puts it all together in what we call a syncretistic mix, right? And it comes up with this idea of this is what salvation is all about, Gnosticism. And Polycarp was like, no, wait a minute, it's, 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 it, that's not the truth. And he started confronting this, and people started threatening him. He said, you better, you better cut that off, or we're going to arrest you, and we're going to put you into prison. And we might even kill you. And you know what Polycarp said? Okay, okay, I'll back off, chill, chill. We all got to get along here. No, he said, bring it on. As a matter of fact, here I am right now. They arrest him, they try him, they take him to this place where they have built a bonfire, if you will. And they start to nail him to a cross or a stake. And he says, wait, wait, you don't need to nail me to it. I'm not going anywhere. I will stand here because I am standing for my faith. And he was burned alive at the stake, willingly standing right where he was. If you read the martyrdom of Polycarp, it's an interesting story. But that's what happened in this church in Smyrna. You know, Polycarp, he was an old guy when he was martyred, which means that as a believer, he probably lived all of his life under this persecution. And he wasn't martyred until later in his life. He lived a lifetime standing firm in his faith. Ask yourself, how much have I endured persecution? How much have I had to suffer? Although Smyrna had a lot going on for it, and it was a beautiful city, there was an ugly truth. It persecuted Christians. It persecuted those who believed in the truth. You may notice that this letter to the believers in Smyrna specifies 10 days of persecution. So, you know, our, our young volunteer over here, he volunteered for thrown in prison for 10 days. And you may wonder, it's like 10 days. That's kind of a long time. You know, anybody want to volunteer to be persecuted for 10 days? Probably not. But think about a time when someone did volunteer to be tested for 10 days. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, their names, Remember? They volunteered to say, look, we, we will not eat what the king sets before us because we will follow what our God says we should eat, and we, not, we certainly don't want to follow the religious practices of this pagan culture, and so test us for 10 days, for 10 days. See, 10 days it represents completion and maturity. Next time you volunteer for some sort of physical challenge, make it 10 days, And see how that works. Persecution for 10 days leads to spiritual maturity. Consider what James 1, 2 through 5 says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus wants these believers and all believers, he wants me and you to understand that there is a purpose for our persecution. Times when we feel tested spiritually produces spiritual maturity when we stand firm in our faith. Now, if you give up and you quit, that reveals your immaturity, right? But just like our... Our worship team saying, you know, if you, in, in Christ alone, we stand in our faith, and he is our hope. It produces spiritual maturity, and Jesus reminds us that's what he desires. What we're living through, what we may have to experience is temporary. His promise is eternal. The letter to the church in Smyrna continues with these words. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Polycarp embodied these words as he was burned at the stake. James 1:12 reinforces this message with these words, "Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him." The crown of life. Aren't you glad we kept reading? There's a promise. There's there's a crown of life awaiting. There are places around this world where people are thrown into prison for worshiping God openly. There are places around the world today where people will kill their own family members for converting to Christianity. That's persecution. There are places in our community, perhaps people in in this chapel, who are being ridiculed by those around them for taking a stand for the gospel. Take heart in this promise that Christ makes to the church. There is a crown of life awaiting for all who are faithful, even to the point of death. A crown of life. This crown is a victor's crown. Not the crown of a king, but the crown of a victor. Like the athlete receives after they complete some sort of challenge. If you've done like a Spartan race or a mud run, you may can relate to a prize that you win at the end. You know, you you sign up for one of these events to physically challenge yourself, to see if internally you have the medal to complete it. You know, somebody who who can can persevere through all of these challenges that you face. I've done one and uh, decided that I'd wait a while before I did another. About midway through, you're thinking, what was I thinking? But you persevere, cross the finish line, and rejoice and think it's the best thing you ever did. Last November, I did rethink it, and I had the opportunity to participate in an honored tradition of the 82nd Airborne. It was called a prop blast. Do we have any blasties here this morning? Of one blastie, two blastees. Wow, that tells you how long it's been since they did it. It took a little bit to make that happen. But I got to participate in this prop blast. Early in the morning, we put our parachutes on, we got in an aircraft. It was a beautiful day, particularly in the 82nd because we weren't wearing combat equipment and it was a daytime jump. We got on this aircraft and it was a wonderful exit because it was out a ramp and not a door. It was off a of ramp into the great blue yonder and the parachutes opened gently and we floated easily down onto our drop zone somewhere on the backside of post. And then, bam, that's when the challenge hit. We picked up our rucks and continued on what became about a 12-mile journey back to our assembly point. And about halfway through that 12 miles, I was thinking, why did I do this? I'm 52, okay? Well, actually, this was 19 November, my birthday, 52nd birthday, was on 21 November. I thought, I'm 51, I can do this, right? No, I thought, I'm too old for this stuff. It was a grueling day, challenging, tiring, and yet fulfilling. At the end of the day, after we had completed the challenge, I got to write my name into the Prop Blast Book of Honor. And let me read to you just a little bit about this this certificate I proudly have here. It says, be it known to the paratroopers of all airborne forces of all armies of the world. It's pretty important, right? That on the 19th day of November, Chaplain Major Mark Miller, yes, that would be me, appeared before the prop blast board of the 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment, United States Army, comprised of ancient, weary, and previously blasted jumpers. Be it further known that this leader of paratroopers was inspected and welcomed into our ranks by the aforementioned board at the traditional prop blast ceremony. Now, this is the important part. Having been found sane and worthy, sane, and worthy, to be numbered a dweller among our blasted ranks. This leader has been entered into the 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment Book of Honor. If you would like to see my picture later, you may request permission. The Book of Honor for the prop blast. It was a pretty big deal, you know, especially at my age. Nevertheless, it's a small deal compared to the crown of life that I'm talking about in our walk of faith. You see, we voluntarily begin a journey when we accept Christ, and we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Christ. Well, what does that mean? It's a journey that will test us and challenge our hearts. It's a journey that we may wonder sometimes, is it worth it because of what you have to endure? But rest assured, a crown of life, everlasting life, is worth the challenge. The letter concludes, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is letter number two to the seven churches. And if I'm not mistaken, every letter ends with that phrase: He who has an ear. Everybody reach up with your right hand and touch that thing on the side of your face. You have an ear. And chances are you have one on this side. You have an ear. Let you hear, let let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The Spirit, the Spirit of God. Get this, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Yes, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all. Let's not brush over though that second point, the second death. And remember the letter said earlier, be faithful even to the point of death. There are probably not many of us who woke up this morning expecting to be persecuted for our faith to the point of death. Anybody wake up in the morning on a Monday morning saying, well, I guess I'll go die for my faith today? Probably not. And yet there are some people, that's what happens to them when they know that they stand for what they believe in, the gospel. It could be a reality, and it has been a reality for some people to die for their faith conclusion of this letter should remind us that there's more to the story there is something beyond this life because you see the scripture says there is a second death but it says he who is overcomes doesn't have to fear the second death doesn't will not be harmed by the second death so you may ask what's the second death well if you continue to read in revelation which i hope you will as we go through this series You'll find in Revelation 20, verses 14 through 15, it says this, the lake of fire is the second death. Anybody want to go there? No, a lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there's kind of a choice that I can see, a book of life or a lake of fire. I like books. I like lakes, but not like like, lake of fire. A book of life sounds much better. In Revelation 21, eight, we read this about the lake of fire and the second death. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice, practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, whew, all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I don't know about you, but once again, The book of life sounds better to me than the lake of fire. I would much rather my name be written in the book of life. And the good news is this. If my name is written in the book of life, if I've decided to become a follower of Christ and I overcome any persecution I may feel in this life, the second death will not hurt me. Because, see, there's a different way to live which leads to eternal life, not to death. This letter to the church in Smyrna teaches us that we do have a Savior who understands what we deal with. He understands. He he said it right up front to the church in Smyrna. He says, I get it. I know what you're dealing with. I love you. I'm your Savior. See, the return address. It's from me. This is the one who overcame death, and so can you. You see, this letter reminds us that in our walk of faith, it may not be easy, but we can and should overcome. By standing firm in our faith and in the truth of the gospel. Maybe you're a soldier living in the barracks. Surrounded by those who live anything but a Christ-like lifestyle. Anybody live in the barracks here who can say, yeah, that's kind of what it's like. Yeah, people there, they're they're, they're choir boys, right? No, I know the stories. I've heard. Friday nights are no fun. You need somewhere to go. But you've got to be a light in that darkness. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Maybe you're a teenager and you've got one of those things called a cell phone. And on that cell phone, you've got an app that gets you into social media. And when you open up that app and you see how someone's responded to what you believe in and you get those arrows sent back your way, those flaming arrows, that social bullying that ridicules you for being who you are, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Stand in your faith. Maybe you're a parent struggling to raise children in a, with godly values in a culture that offers them so many alternatives that don't represent godly values. And every day when they walk in the door, they ask questions that you thought, I can't believe I'm having to answer this from a 12-year-old because they're being hit with things. You know, our faith is not immune. We are not immune to the persecution that challenges our faith. If you haven't begun this journey, consider what to expect if your name's not written in the book of life. But consider what to expect when you make that choice. When you say, you know what, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to follow Christ, and I want my name written in that book of life. Because this scripture tells me, it is important. It, it, it's not like this letter. It's not open immediately because you have a key. No, it's about... The truth, this is from somebody who loves me and tells me that if I follow him, I can overcome, and the second death won't hurt me at all. If you haven't begun this journey, I encourage you to do so. Make that decision. Whoever you are, when you feel persecuted, tested, and challenged to stand in your faith, don't give up. Don't quit. I mean, that's the bottom line. Just don't quit. Don't give up on your faith. There is no need to fear what we may face as a believer. There is no need to fear the accuser. Yes, he may throw you into prison. Yes, he may bring accusations against you. He is the devil, the accuser, the father of lies. But we have Jesus Christ, our king. And the king trumps the accuser every time, all the time. As a matter of fact, the king will crush the accuser. If you read the rest of the story, You'll discover that. This letter to the church in Smyrna, included here in the revelation of Jesus Christ, is important enough to open immediately. It does have important information about our faith. It is relevant. And we know that we have hope and confidence when we stand fast in our faith. The Word tells us that. The Word tells us that. I would ask you to stand with me, and Holly, if you could, come forward I want to just encourage you you know here in America here in our military culture many times we can be isolated from what's really going on out there in the world you talk to any given soldier who has deployed around the world different places they'll tell you that it's a different world out there it's different believers have to do things differently but you know, it could hit our streets one day. It's already among us, the, the challenges are there. The challenges you face in your own family are very real. You know, it may not be persecution where you're burned at the stake, but it may be persecution where you feel like that, you know, if I make this decision to lead my family in a direction that I know we should go, that I know the Spirit of God is telling me to go, then they're going to think that I'm weird. Or maybe you're a teenager and you're thinking, you know, I've I've got to start school and, and, you know, if I act a certain way, I just won't fit in. Well, think about the importance of fitting into God's kingdom and be encouraged. Be encouraged as you remember the words of this letter to the church in Smyrna. Read the rest of the letters. They're important. They're not junk mail. Read it. See what it has to say and trust God that he will keep you. And pray for Christians who are being persecuted around the world. It's a very real thing. Something that maybe you're blessed, like I am, to, at the moment, not feel much persecution. I'm blessed. But there are people who are persecuted every day. So pray for them. As we close in prayer, I invite you to join me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word and what you have to the churches and to this chapel. God, may you bless each one who is here today. May you go with us, go before us, and clear our path. May you go with us and hold us in the palm of your hand. May you come behind us and be our rear guard that nothing would approach us unaware. And God, we pray that around the world you would remember the believers, those who are being persecuted for the gospel. And just minister special grace to them, even right now, this day. God, be with them, encourage them. I ask that you would help us to be prepared for whatever we may face. Go with this congregation and may your blessings rest upon us all, I pray. In Christ's holy name, amen. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.